You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. In 2010, U.S. Army Specialist Richard Dyer was injured as a result of an airborne operation, where he impacted a tree at nearly 30 miles per hour. Adaptive sports became an important part of his recovery. Since then, it has become a driving passion. Rich is an avid and excellent snowboarder on the slopes. But now he's completing his bachelor's degree in business and wants to use his skills to help startups and other small businesses. Let's chat with him. So, Rich, I typically like to start by asking my fellow veterans your why. So why did you uh, sign up to serve in our, in our military? So why is actually a great question. Uh, since I was a child, it's pretty much since the age of four years old, if you ask my parents, I had always wanted to join the military. I didn't have a huge family history of like service members. It wasn't like something that I saw every day. It just at a young age, it just became something that I like admired and just really looked into. And over the course of time, my parents would take me to see, you know, violent action movies that, you know, were really kind of based around war, thinking that maybe it would kind of scare me out of it. But as I grew older, it became more ingrained in me, even like having those mentality of just how it was to the point where when I was getting ready to graduate high school, I didn't take the SATs, I didn't had no ACTs. And it wasn't one of those things where like the counselors and your parents really kind of delve deep and go, no, you, you know, have a backup. It was, oh, that's fine. That's, we know what you're going to do. We've known what you're going to do for the last, you know, 12 years of your life. Mm -hmm. You've already had that career planned out. So I can't really explain the why it's just, it's always something that I want it to be. That's interesting. Cause you know, for me and for many others that I've, I've even had a chance to interview, there is a family history and a family record. So you just had this, you knew what your path was or you you had a calling almost. Absolutely. And uh, so did you join right after high school? I joined at 17. I left three weeks after graduation. So, <laughs> and did you know, uh, all along when you knew that you wanted to be in the military, did you know which branch and, and is that the branch you ended up selecting? So no, actually that's uh, kind of interesting. As I grew older, the branch that I wanted to join kind of just shifted based off of whatever was popular at the time. Hmm. So when I was younger, it was Air Force. I wanted to, you know, Top Gun. I wanted to fly planes. <laughs> when it was Black Hawk Down, I wanted to join, you know, the Army. And I wanted to be like a door gunner. And then, you know, that came out. We came out, and I believe it was like to early 2000. So I was only like 12 years old. My mom uh -huh. took me to see that. And she went and saw The Little Mermaid and <laughs> on a re-release. And I went and saw that by myself. So then I wanted to join the army and then I would watch a movie that revolved around Marines. And I was like, oh, Jarhead came out. I'm going to watch that now. And then it kind of, as I got a little bit closer to doing that, I worked with a few different recruiters and really kind of settled into what I was going to want to do final. But I spoke to the Navy. I spoke to the army. I spoke to the Marines and Air Force. So you kind of at least did some, did some of that research then just to kind of say what, it, what is best for me or what would fit me the most? Absolutely. And uh, the career path took a unique turn as well because I was initially going to join the army and I had, you know, this, the cool guy, ranger contract all set up 17, ready to go. And then I found out I was colorblind. So mm. they were like, well, your job list went from like 120 jobs to about seven. And my recruiter, I asked him, I was like, well, which one will get me overseas to go 
possibly be in combat. And he goes, well, combat medic is what you're going to be, you know, 91 whiskey now it's 68 whiskey. And, uh, that's kind of how the, the chips fell on my lap and I wouldn't take it back for the world. So tell me a little bit about, um, you know, like where you did boot camp and, and where you did your training for combat medic and, and then even just kind of go into maybe some of your various duty, duty stations while you were in the service. So I traveled the country quite a bit. I started off uh, Fort Sill, Oklahoma is where I did basic training mm-hmm. and then moved down to Fort Sam Houston in Texas, uh, where all the combat medics trained down mm-hmm. there. I initially started actually was in a, uh, a nursing contract known as Mike Six. So I actually did some time over at Walter Reed. This was in early 2006 or mm-hmm. mid 2006. So got to see a lot of a um, lot of tough things very early at a young age. I was still only 17, 18 years old, and I was kind of seeing these guys coming back. So I knew what I was getting myself into when kind of going forward. Uh, From there, I actually wound up going to Fort Lewis, Washington, where I was with the Triple Nickel Combat Engineers, 14th Combat Engineer Brigade. Um, And doing that, we worked as combat engineers. So essentially, EOD embedded, R2C2 sapper teams. We worked a lot with explosives and I got to learn a lot while I was there. You know, we got to, we were route clearance. So when we wound up deploying in early 2008, we were doing, you know, route denial, cache denial, anti-smuggling operations from, you know, specific countries that were over on that way, you know, working with the local community. We had our construction team was trying to help build schools, get wells, do water infrastructure while we were doing, you know, anti IED denial. Mm-hmm. So we were on the road pretty much 18 hours a day, you know, <laughs> seven days a week until R and R that was my only days off <laughs> two to three patrols a day. And, and you talked about deployment. So, uh, where was your deployment and how long were you there? I was in Iraq, um, for 15 months, uh, from June, July, April 2008 to July 2009. Uh, We were all over the country. We started off in Kirkuk. Uh, I wound up going down into the Baghdad area just for a very short time. I worked in Basra and then we were in Alamara in the Tuz area. Mm -hmm. So Nazaria kind Mm -hmm. of traveling the country north and south, really depending on where we were needed to be. Okay. And then, you know, obviously we uh, at, uh, at Moving United and with, with our Moving United World Fighters program, we, we focus on sport. So I, I should have asked early on, were you involved in sports just even growing up? Or, or where did you where did sport kind of factor into your life? Sports when I was a kid was always something kind of secondary. Uh, I played a little bit of baseball in high school. I played a lot of soccer when I was a youth, but it never was a, a driving passion, if you will. Uh, it's ironic that it's become a driving passion now that I'm older <laughs> and you would think that I'd start to slow down, but I'm starting to speed back up. Oh. <laughs> and, and so how did you get introduced to adaptive sports? So after my injury in uh, 2010, I was actually doing pool physical therapy at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And a movie United representative actually was actually there hmm. and noticed that when I would walk into the pool area with my cane, I would be, you know, struggling, trying to get up and down and then I'd get into the water and there was no pain anymore. You know, once you're weightless mm-hmm. and there's no pressure on your body, there's no pressure on your neck, your back, your hips, your legs. I was having fun and I was going really, really aggressive. Uh, prior to my injury, I did a lot of swimming. I, I would do marathon running. I did the army 10 miler on multiple occasions. Mm-hmm. I loved being active, loved being in the woods, loved hiking and just Anything I could do to be outside, just barefoot running in the woods was my favorite thing to do. And once that was gone and it was replaced with pain, 
that one moment where they recognized, hey, this kid wants to be active. He's not just kind of going, what was me? But he can't do it outside of the water. So my first introduction was actually going surfing mm. um, in Virginia Beach as a with a billabong and a Move United event. Yeah. yeah. And uh, struggled. It was uh, very unfun for a while. <clears throat> and then I saw a lot of the guys that I, you know, for lack of a better word, considered worse off than I was at the time outperforming me and I went, oh, this is this is a mental block, not a physical block. And that was a, a big snap moment for myself. So let's talk about that because that's an interesting. So um, what did you do? How did you overcome that mental block? So as I was trying to get up on the board and my my hips are killing me, my back is killing me. I just I can't get up. And uh, I don't remember the gentleman's name and I'll probably never see him again. But I looked over to my left and I watch uh, a younger guy just like myself. Uh, unfortunately, he was an A above knee amputee. <clears throat> he gets up, throws himself up on the board, and he starts riding in a wave before I could. And I went, how did he do that? Like, I just, I, it was mentally, and I hate to say it like that, but it's almost felt like a, a self-pity party. Mm -hmm. So when I saw him, like, just outperforming, really just get up and have that really strong, like, he looked strong. You know, there wasn't like a having six people help you up do it he did it on his own and so the next wave out i went the guys were kind of giving me a hand up and i went no 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 i'm like let me do this and so i just really just kind of reached down and pushed off the board and got myself up and went that actually didn't hurt mm. i'm like if you try to do it slowly and you're kind of creeping around and you're trying to move around and you keep falling the more the less effort you put into it the less you're going to get out of it so the next two or three times we went out I was like, okay, let me let me set myself up. How do I get my hips to where I'm using the least amount of effort but getting the quickest amount of pop? And that was like, okay, I can use that mentality to if I want to walk on the treadmill some more. You know, is there maybe a better speed where it's going to hurt less because I'm doing a little bit less impact, more glide? You know, can I start rowing at the gym? Can I do cycling? Is there alternate exercises that aren't just what I used to do? And how do I use that going forward to try to feel better about my injury? Hmm. And I know we kind of we kind of skipped over it a bit, but you know whatever you're comfortable with sharing in terms of your injury and and how long you were in rehab and and stuff like that. So I unfortunately uh, was a paratrooper down at Fort Bragg. Not unfortunately a paratrooper. Unfortunately, was injured as a paratrooper. <laughs> loved par I right. loved jumping out of planes. It was my passion at one point. <laughs> uh, Essentially, we, I had a really bad day on a, a daytime Hollywood fun jump. So no gear, no extra weight. Uh, I was for graduation in the warrior leader course to try to get promoted. What wound up happening is the there was some really bad judgment calls from the, the ground safety team. And I wound up jumping at about 35 to 40 mile an hour winds. The expected is from 8 to 12. So that was a, a little bit on the egregious side of what we should have been doing. And a lot of folks got injured that day. I wound up impacting a tree, I would say probably roughly 30 miles an hour. And uh, the force of the impact actually uh, kind of blew my left hip out, complete dislocation. My left shoulder was dislocated. My knee was completely dislocated and my ankle was twisted back around. What wound up happening was I had, you know, smaller fractures. Uh, my C2, C3 vertebrae wound up being fused together because they were broken and mm -hmm. got reconnected. So I had just multiple fractures and multiple small injuries that wound up just leading to uh, like neuralgia through my leg. I have 
uh, very limited function of my left leg. I can kind of feel pressure. I can't really feel pain. I can't really feel like cold or heat sensations. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> I get uh, muscle spasms and like neuralgia in my left hand and my left side. Um, <clears throat> I spent, I would say probably about a year and a half in full recovery, uh, learning essentially how to not walk like John Wayne anymore. Once my hip got reset, I constantly looked like I was just getting off a horse. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I can see that. I, yep. I can picture that right now. It was a uh, pretty bow-legged trying to move around. Uh, wound up getting back through. Wound up having like an arm walker that I used for about a year. Uh, shifted that down to like a, just a personal cane. And then from there, working with the VA, I got into both AFOs and uh HKFO, so hip, knee, arth uh, orthotics to try to keep my leg straight and in line so that way if I don't have any uh, slippage of the joints. And and over this time, uh, have any of those parts uh, been able to recover or is this, uh, do you anticipate it being a long-term, uh, you know, kind of uh, analysis, if you will? It's going to be more of a long-term. Uh, we are already kind of hit the plateau of like how good are things going to get again. Mm -hmm. Now with age, it's just going to get right. unfortunately worse. Uh, I was actually slated to have a hip replacement at 23 and the, uh, the surgeons absolutely refused to do it. They were like, we're not going to. So I'm looking back into the VA probably in about the next two years to, they want to do a total hip replacement, both left and right hand side. Yeah. And so you mentioned obviously like surfing and of course swimming. Uh, I know you obviously as a winter sports guy, um, what other sports, I will talk about winter sports in a little bit, but um, but what other sports other than winter sports have you, uh, do you consider either that were part of your rehab or that you got introduced to or that you're still actually even still doing? I do a lot of cycling. Okay. Uh, a lot of cycling in the summertime is kind of my big thing to do. I love to go out. I started actually working with e-bikes mm -hmm. and found that was a lot. I could go out for a lot longer in the day. Uh, the pain would be a lot less. I would have a lot more fun doing it too, just cause I was going faster. I'm mm -hmm. a bit of a adrenaline junkie myself. Yeah. Uh, snowboarding is my main passion. That's what I live for. I still do swimming in the summer. Uh, there's a lot that I do. I've started by taking up, getting into like just recreational softball, just to kind of keep myself more outdoors as the pain is starting to get a little bit worse. I'm, I'm feeling that, you know, mid thirties creep starting to happen. <laughs> I'm finding ways to stay outside more often. So Anything I can do now, I'm looking at doing a rec league soccer. You know, it's it's non-adaptive. It's just going to be with regular able-bodied individuals. Yeah. But I'll be out there, you know, just trying to keep myself as physically active as I can. Yeah. And, and I, I wanted to spend some time, obviously, talking about snowboarding and winter sports. Uh, how did you first get into it? And and then I, an, an, another why question. What is it about snowboarding that, that you particularly uh, enjoy? So it actually relates right back to the surfing. It was probably about six or seven months after the surfing event. I was out of the military. I was living back in New Hampshire and I wound up getting an email from uh, a Move United team member at the time saying, hey, remember that you went to the surfing event. Do you want to? It's, it's kind of close. <laughs> like you really seem to enjoy that. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we have a, a, a warfighter event happening in northern New Hampshire. You know, it's over the course of a weekend. And I went. I'd love to try. You know, I enjoy doing that. Let me see if I can do this. And uh, what wound up happening was, is I was out there and I was not good. I was <laughs> incredibly rough. I was using an outrigger. I couldn't really get the turns going. I couldn't connect. And again, it was the same thing. I was working with my coach and she's like, well, what do you think? What do you think is the holdup? And I go, I think it's just, I'm 
getting up off the snow, I'm like, really, my legs are starting to get really sore. I'm still using a cane to try to push off the snow because I couldn't get my own body weight to do it. My legs were still just so weak, excuse me, from injury. And, uh, once the kind of the weekend happened and we were like by on the last day, I kind of was like, you know, I think the outrigger is too much of a crutch. Let's get rid of it. And I'm like, let's, if you can, like try to use a little bit of speed. She's like, well, let's, we're not really connecting slow. Why do you want to go fast? I go, I think I'm having like a bicycle mentality where I think I need to go a little bit faster and I need to try to transition a little bit quicker. And I'm like, I think that's my problem is I'm going, I'm falling down too much at slow speed. So we tried that. We actually went up, went to a steeper hill and it connected. You say it worked. It worked. And she was like, okay, well that's, that's not in the books, but, (laughs) and I was like, oh, it's just, it's my hip issues. I'm like, I couldn't get the board back and forth at too slow of a speed. And I just kind of, my balance was off. But as we know from motorcycles and, you know, bicycles, the faster you go, the more stable you are in a line and, you know, to a point. Yeah. But by the end of the afternoon, we were starting to hit like really advanced terrain and it wasn't pretty and it wasn't fluid, but I was able to get, you know, from the top of the mountain down without falling. She goes, okay, well, let's hone that. So that's what we started working Mm -hmm. on over the course of the winter was really getting that technique and then bringing it back to slower speed, getting the more finesse of the control. And over the course of the next summer, I found myself going, I really want to do that again. I really, really want to do that again. And I just naturally now working with Move United and just personally just found myself, it's become a passion. You know, it's, it's something that I do. It's my friends know me as that's what I do. I get gifts around the holidays, around snowboarding. <laughs> you know, people are asking if, yeah, can we go out with you? I'd love to see how you ride, you know, because it's, they don't necessarily believe that somebody with my injury should be able to be on a snowboard, especially if they're not familiar with the world of adaptive sports. It's, mm. it's, I wouldn't say it's niche, but it's definitely something that needs to be expanded upon into the normal market. So it's friend, like friends of yours or people that you, mm-hmm. you know even have those doubts. Exactly. Huh. All the time. It's, uh, it, it's one of the things that impacted me through over my career, you know, kind of into the, the, you know, the corporate market, you know, in your personal life. It's just you see like small invisible biases where people kind of like see your leg brace and they try to grab a door for you. It's like mm-hmm. I open 100 doors a day. Like I know how to do this. I got out of the car on my own. I can get on the bus on my own. I can get all these random things. But people kind of immediately jump to help. And well, it's not a bad thing. It's just, it's mentally, it's, I, I got this. Like mm-hmm. I, I can do this. I do it every day. It's my new normal is how do I, I might step on the bus sideways or I might kind of shift around or I might stand up and go, okay, that hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, so when people see you doing sports and like softball, you know, like my friends will kind of make fun a little bit and they're like, nah, you, you, you're going to miss. And all of a sudden I'll like crack a really great hit and they're like, oh, okay, you actually did better than I did. So is there any like. Needing to, needing to prove yourself from time to time in that regard? Unconsciously, yes. Uh, I think I would probably be the best way to put that. I have uh, My friends will definitely agree that I have a slight ego. And uh, I look at them and I'm like, listen, my leg may be bad, but I know I'm in better shape than you. And they go, nah, it's not true. And then I prove it. I can beat you down the mountain. I can do whatever, right? Exactly. <laughs> I can still outrun you. And that they don't like. So is that, you know, that um, first... Uh, snowboarding session that you went to in New Hampshire, is that like your home mountain or is that, was it just a little further out? Like what, what is your home mountain? I tend to ride uh, kind of everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be, I would consider loon would probably be my home mountain. Uh, f- 
fiscally and closeness wise, I tend to go to Sunapee. Okay. Uh, Mount Sunapee is my favorite. I just I love the terrain there. There's mm-hmm. a lot of really good hidden terrain that a lot of people don't see. So that's where I tend to try to find myself. And then yeah. at the evenings, I tend to go to Mount Crotchet because they do night skiing. Oh, okay, that's yep. cool. And and we're actually chatting here in in Breckenridge, Colorado. So that's the and and it's at, at uh, Ski Spectacular. You've been here a number of times. Uh, what is it? What is it like? You know, being able to come out to Ski Spectacular. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, just from the terrain, from the resort, from the people to the coaches to the instructors to the staff and volunteers. There's not a sad face here. There's just amazing stories being processed every day. You look on the hill and you just, you see people just with just grin to grin, I'm sorry, cheek to cheek smiles where, you know, you go home and you see that all the time, but just really to be here and just hearing everyone's inspirational stories and just the the conversations that you have, nobody's having a bad time, you know? And it's just one of those things where you kind of look out and you can see the mountains around you and you can just, you, you just, you feel invigorated just every morning you wake up. It's like, awesome. What is today going to bring? What is, what is the, what's going to happen in 20 minutes? What's going to happen in an hour? And then you just, you look down and you see guys smashing jumps and, you know, maybe a person getting on the, on their skis for the first time. And you go, that's both amazing things. And now it's my turn. So I get on the hill and I go, all right, what am I going to do? What route am I going to take? How am I going to challenge myself and not just kind of laissez-faire, make my way down? So finding that aggressive terrain that I want to hit is where I really find that. Particularly as an adrenaline junkie, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, there was, um, there was some definitely interesting conversations over the course of the week where I looked at whoever I was riding with and went, we made a mistake. And they <laughs> looked over the edge and went, oh, yeah. And uh-huh. uh, unfortunately, there is the only one way down. Unless it's a really long hike all the way back up. So we were hitting some, uh, I would say, beyond my level terrain. But no injuries, yeah. not hurting. So I guess that's a good success. And, and so what what kind of, uh, what would be your good, your average terrain? I prefer riding uh, steeper black diamonds. That's, okay. I love, like, really having to process you know, for safety, you can ride a regular trail and you can kind of just, you know, you're kind of floating along and it's really casual. But when you're on some like in the trees, some backcountry, there's obstacles on the ground, things that you can't see. So you have to look and go, okay, hundred feet. This is where I need to be at for you know, purposes. I don't want to be in that tree well off to my right, or there's a big boulder off to my left. So I have to figure out how am I going to do that? So you're calculating your speed, you're calculating your trajectory. You have to know where your board is. So I'm really using muscles in my body and i'm really kind of just saying hey instead of just going from the top of the hill to the bottom of the hill i'm choosing the mountain i'm making it mine and that's how i run that so the steeper the more difficult the terrain is where i want to be at yeah as long as i don't leave the ground the air is not good for myself <laughs> so no jumps or anything like that huh? very little very okay. very little and, and Rich, what does sport mean to you i mean what, in terms of just the opportunity to participate and and, and still still be active I think sports, the great equalizer. I think it's just one of those opportunities, no matter what it is, it could be able-bodied sports, it could be adaptive sports. It could just be, you know, competitive sports that in your local communities, like darts, it could be pool. It's just having a level of competition, I think changes a person's mindset where it's not just like going to the gym. Cause when you go to the gym, you're just, you're working on your own. You're not 
challenge. You're not, it's, you know, if you push yourself a little bit, you might not put up as much weight as you can because it's, you're at your own pressure. When you're getting competitive, that's how you get better at something. So taking the competitive mindset of, all right, we're going down the mountain and I want to beat this person, or I'm on a basketball court and it's a game of wheelchair basketball. I want to beat this team. So you have to play beyond your level to do that. And having that mindset and bringing it back into the real world, you know, when you're not on the court, but that could be getting out of bed every day. That could be, you know, going for that next job interview. It could be, Mm -hmm. you know, just anywhere in the professional realm where if you take the art of sport and just that competitive drive that human beings should naturally have and bringing that back into your real life. And you start to learn how to blend those. That's how you become better as a person and you become overall more your trajectory will go up because you're always going to be trying to be just a little bit better than you were the day before. That's a, a great transition actually to, to one of my questions I had for you, because I know that you're uh, working on your degree. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so what are some of your, I guess, non-sport goals uh, that you have for yourself? So my non-sport goals is uh, once school starts back up in a couple weeks, I'm hoping to keep and maintain my national honor society listing. I'm running about a 3.7 GPA. That's awesome. <laughs> about 10 months left to finish my bachelor's in business, going mm-hmm. to Southern New Hampshire University online. A phenomenal program. It's good. And that's, we talk about the competitive nature. It's how I do that. I started like my first couple of classes, I got an A and I went, okay, I can't do worse than this now. <laughs> and as soon as I got a B, I went, ah, oh, it's not perfect anymore. How do I get that back up? So I've been challenging every class is I want to be better than my peers. So how do I do that? There's only one statistic that shows that. That's your GPA. Mm-hmm. So now I want to finish. You know, I want to be on president's list. I want to try to get on dean's list. So I will, if I had anything less than a B, it's like that is, no, it's just not going to happen. And I track down every class I do and I track down every project that I do. And I really put as much effort into it as possible because I'm not going to take that lazy way out. Because once you start doing that, it can become a virus. It can just become like a little tumor that you just keeps growing and growing every day where it's, oh, I can cut this corner. I can cut this corner. It's Mm -hmm. like no corners are being cut. Go 100% or don't do it at all. So for so a year from now you'll have a bachelor you'll have your degree in business. What do you want to do with it? Uh, essentially, what I want to do is I want to start working with uh, like startups, smaller companies, maybe bars, restaurants, you know, your local barber shop, and utilizing some of my previous history. I want to teach them how to be efficient. Hmm. So I've done a lot of hiring. I've done a lot of firing in my past. I've done sales managing, and I'm really I'm really good at seeing the broad the broad idea of what somebody has, but what a lot of folks who have a desire and a passion don't have is an eye for business. Mm-hmm. You could be a wonderful chef and you know, might know how to run a kitchen, but that doesn't mean that you know how to run a restaurant. Right. You know, so those things don't go hand in hand. Uh, what I want to do is I want to say, Hey, listen, let me run the operations. You keep the passion. Don't make the passion become the, the kind of the, the lackluster portion of things. Let me help you train your staff. Let me work on hiring outside talent. Let me see what you need. And then I find a way to try to cut all your costs down so that way you're more effective in what you're doing in the long term. So it's teaching them how to run their own business and then also helping them in the background on a temporary basis. Hmm. Okay. 
And I know we kind of talked about this a little bit when, when, when you wanted to kind of prove your, yourself to your friends or peers, but how, how would you say that you are re redefining disability? I redefine disability in the way that I try not to let people know I have a disability. Hmm. You know, I've had a lot of folks that meet me in the summertime and they'll see my leg braces and they go, what did you do? Because they, they had no idea. So I try to just keep my life as normal as possible. So that way, if somebody does happen to see, you know, the visual aspect of the disability, they, it's not what defines me. What who defines me is myself. And the disability is a secondary nature to that. And uh, I know that you've been a moving on warfighters ambassador. Why do you, why do you want to, what, what, what does that mean to you and why do you, why do you do that? Being an ambassador for Move United has probably been my favorite thing that I've done in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. I've gotten to meet a lot of fantastic folks. I've gotten to do a lot of really amazing events and just kind of gotten to like help grow the community. And what I've done with that is, again, where a lot of folks don't know that I do these things, it's kind of, I don't use social media a lot. I don't really kind of put out on blast because I think redefining disability is, you know, it can be climbing Everest or it could just be working with your local community. Mm -hmm. And when folks see me trying to do some certain things and they, again, that mentality of they don't know that I'm changing somebody's mind every day where people see me come in riding a bike or going, they're like, Oh, you're going to go snowboard. And I'm like, yeah. And all of a sudden they see me in leg braces. I go, how the hell do you snowboard? <laughs> and I go, why wouldn't I be able to? And, it's somebody where they might go, oh, I didn't, I didn't think of that. Like mm -hmm. it's, they never maybe had to have thought about it or they, maybe they've had friends and or family in their lives that unfortunately maybe had the disabilities on their own, but they never took that opportunity to try to advance a little bit further. So trying to just kind of promote without doing a huge amount of self-promoting, just trying to facilitate having a, a physical or non-physical or non-visual disability become almost a normal place. Yeah. So it's becomes a little bit more familiar. Exactly. Yeah. And then is there anything that, that we've, that I've not asked you or anything that you want to kind of to share in closing? Honestly, I can't think of anything at the moment. It's just, uh, being able to work as an ambassador with move United, the work that move United does in the community every single day is just an incredible thing. And I'm happy to be a part of it.